This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on, well, I guess the uh, the Mitch LaFawn Network, right? Is that is that how it works, uh, Steve? Is that how it works? I, it's, I'm independent? Well, it does now, yes. As, <laughs> as the owner of an independent record label myself, yeah, that's the way it goes. You know, I have Brownstone Music and Mojo Vegas Records, and so you have uh, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn on the LaFawn Network. And the LaFawn Network. Now, for folks who don't recognize the voice and you're thinking, well, that's that's not Alan. Uh, no, sir, folks. It is uh, Steve Brown of Trickster, Eric Martin, Rubik's Cube, Def Leppard. Uh, tell me when to stop. Um, danger, danger. Danger, danger. Um, and, uh, Tokyo Motor Fist. Oh, you know what? Tokyo Motor Fist, uh, folks, is is a great debut album. They, they put that out with Chuck uh, Berge, who, of course, plays with Billy Joel. And, and I'm forgetting who the third person was. Um, well, you got Ted Poley from Danger Ted, Danger, of course. Of course. Ted. There you go. And uh, and the fabulous on on bass guitar, Greg Smith from Rainbow Ted Nugent, Alice Cooper. So yeah, it's another Frontiers Records supergroup, and it's actually one of their supergroups that actually plays live and is kind of like a real band. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you played a show not not too long ago. But the great news, and can, can we break news or or can we not break news? You tell me. Oh no! It's it's this is this is public knowledge, of course, and I'd love I'd love to hear you say it. Yeah. So Tokyo Motor Fist is going to be recording a second album, and so tell me when and and where and and you know, folks are going to say, okay, you're recording an album. Do I but do I buy it in 2019 or am I buying this in 2020? So what what's sort of the the plan there? Well, the plan is is that uh, I've begun working on the material as it you know it starts in my. Uh, in my 6160, a.k.a. Mo- Mojo Vegas Recording Company, my uh, home studio here in sunny Ringwood, New Jersey. And yeah, we're really excited. So the reality is the record is, the reality of it is, is the record's going to come out in early 2020. Um, by the time it's all said and done, it'll be, be w- well done before, you know, the end of the year and, you know, shooting a video. But there's usually that three month frontier set up for it. And that's what it is. And I've got probably about six songs fully written and uh, ready to start tracking. And I really am so excited for all of our fans to hear it. All the fist sequels worldwide. Uh, rejoice because we're going to have another fantastic, and I think it's going to be even better than the uh, than the debut. So if oh, I great. can be as so bold as to say something so daring and dirty, it's going to be better than the first fist. The second fisting is going to be better than the first. That is that is going to be great. Now I'll ask you this because I, I recently spoke with Vinnie Vincent, and of course you covered one of his songs, "A Million to One." Any chance? that you might record it for, for this album or as a bonus track for Japan or for some project that, that folks can get like a rock. Cause you did a sort of an acoustic version. So maybe a nice rocked up version would be in the offing. Anything is possible. You know, I had it in my mind after I heard you interviewed Vinny and I heard his kind words regarding my cover, my sort of acoustic version. So I think to throw it out there, I'd love to have Vinny play on us, play the solo on it, and I'd recut maybe the drums and add some bigger guitars and do a more rocked out version of it because, you know, I did get a nice compliment from uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Elliott, when I sent him a copy of my version of Million to One, and he wrote back, you know, fantastic or stellar vocal. And uh, I was very, very, you know, coming from him, that's pretty 
cool. So I think the vocal track is a keeper, but uh, maybe we could do something else. But yeah, it's been, you know, it's been out for a couple of years and I finally, you know, remastered it and re-put it out there and the response to it has been great. And, uh, you know, just phenomenal, like we've talked about. I seriously, one of Kiss's best songs they ever wrote, regardless of what era that came out in, it's still one of their best songs, hands down. Oh, I fully agree. And I'll just uh, tell the folks... Um wondering, well, where is Alan? Alan is uh, busy, of course, in Arizona. He is recording uh, a new artist, and so he is not going to be on the next couple of episodes, but he will be back. Don't uh, don't fret. But also, these interviews here, we've got Joel Hoekstra from Whitesnake, and we have got uh, Steve Lynch from Autograph. Both bands are playing, well, guess what? The M3 Festival. And who else is on the M3 Festival? Well, the one and only Steve Brown with, of course, Danger, Danger, Danger. Are you sure you're not playing with Whitesnake and the, the, the new L.A. guns? And Because I, I, I have a feeling that I'm going to show up and you're just going to be changing your clothes and running on stage. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll be L, the, the, the new L.A. guns sixth member or something. Yeah, and uh, I can I can guarantee I can guarantee you all the money in China. That's not going to happen. But um, and no offense to anybody out there, but no, I think it's just danger, danger this time. Really looking forward to the M3 festival. It's probably going to be my fourth or fifth time playing it, and first time playing with the Danger Danger Boys. And uh, we just had two successful shows on the Monsters of Rock cruise, so we are firing at all cylinders. And Mitch, just a correction: when you introduce me from now on on your show, I would like to be referred to as the one the only the mighty steve brown because you say the one the only to everybody else but i do mighty thrown in there and 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 i throw the mighty on on twitter stuff when i when i talk about the (laughs) mighty white snake and the white yeah of course so i can do that and um just before we get over to uh, joel hoekstra i just want to remind the folks that uh, next week uh we're going to do another m3 special or the next episode i should say we've got kip winger of course of winger and Eric Baker and folks are like, what? Who? Eric Baker? No, not of L.A. Guns. He is, of course, the uh, what do you call him? The the organizer or the, or the owner of M3. He's he's the brains behind yeah, M3. Well, he's one of the he's yeah one of the promoters and creators of the festival. You know, and Eric Eric's an old dear friend of mine. Used to, used to work for MCA Records back in the early '90s. You know, and he would I've known Eric since 1990. He's a Jersey guy, loving the death. So it's going to be a great interview. It, it's going to be great, and of course, uh, Joel Hoekstra and Whitesnake. You are. Friends with Joel, he is one of your buddies, bros, bests, besties, whatever. What's what's the term that the kids use these days? Bestie. Uh, well, we you're like, a bestie. We like to call each other. We're, yeah, I don't know about that. That's a little. That's definitely. You're, you're not teenage girls, right? My, no, it's something my uh, six-year-old daughter would say, Mitch. So please, come on, let's let's keep it keep it up to speed. Yeah, no, he's my as they say in Jersey, ah, he's my bro. You know what I'm talking about? Nah, Joel. Joel and I were rock and roll brothers, you know, and Joel right now is probably one of the most sought after guitar players in the business. And myself, I couldn't be more happier for all of his success. White Snake, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Now he's playing with Cher and every band that he is in, he pretty much is the star of the show. And uh, it's just I couldn't be more happy for him and for the nicest guy in the world he's just phenomenal and he's been a help to me he's the guy who brought me in in 2014 he brought me in to do uh to do rock of ages rock on of broadway ages. Mm-hmm. which was one of the most incredible experiences of my life and that's coming from somebody who's done a lot of cool things 
and to be able to play on Broadway, uh, playing, you know, the Rock of Ages, you know, play was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And, you know, because of Joel and, uh, you know, I'm forever grateful and, you know, I always try to buy him dinner or lunch, but he never accepts my invitation. So I'm, well, it's because he's busy. Because he's too busy. I that's know. The thing. But, but he'll be at M3, so we'll hang out. We'll get a picture. We'll 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 hang out by the M3 pool in the backstage area. That'll that'll be fun. But that's uh, right. Well, well, you know what? The three of us will soak our toes in the pool. It'll be nice. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting about this interview is uh, David Coverdale likes to revisit some of the older White Snake material and tinker with it and remix it and remaster it and, and have people replay stuff. And so there is an album and I'm not going to reveal which one, cause I'm going to make you listen, but he talks about an album that came out years ago that they have redone, brought in the, 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 the new members, put some new guitars and stuff, and they're going to release it later this year. And I could not be more thrilled. The album and, and the songs on those albums uh, are great. It, it's it's great, and so to hear that they that they did that, it's like they did what? Oh, okay. So I, I'm down with that. Shall shall we get over to Mr. Hoekstra? What do, what do you think? Let's let's get over to Big Joel. He's a phenomenal guitar player and a phenomenal basketball player as well. So let's yes. get to any. And he's a hell of a talker, and he has great hair. Yeah, he does. And in fact, that's probably why he gets all the gigs. It's the hair. It's it's just really it's the hair. The hair. No, but here he is, the one, the only, the mighty Joel Hoekstra. We are speaking with White Snake guitarist Joel Hoekstra. Good day, Joel. Pleasure to talk to you again. How's it going, Mitch? Great to talk to you, brother. Good, good. Uh, la vie est belle, as uh, we say. And of course, uh, I guess in the introduction, I could also say Trans Siberian Orchestra's Joel Hoekstra shares Joel Hoekstra. So, I am going to start with that before we start talking about uh, Coverdale and the great new album, Flesh and Blood. Um, talk to me about having these three different gigs. And I mean, these are not three sort of slacker gigs or three under the radar gigs. It's not sort of the, you, you know, Joel goes play in a tribute band on the weekends in Jersey. The, these are major gigs. In fact, Whitesnake might even be the, the less the lesser of the three gigs. And I mean that t- totally respectfully, but share is whoop and, and trans Siberian is just crazy. So talk to me about having three gigs and how, how do you juggle that? Uh, well, thankfully share has been cool with me coming and going. <laughs> so that's the big one right there. Cause I mean, she's actually out right now while I'm doing this U S run with white snake. Um, and I've been able to sub it out, uh, it's already been about four or five times and be able to go back in. So she's been cool with that. I've just kind of been sharing the gigs with, uh, my buddy, Ben Morrow, who's been subbing for me. And so we, like I said, she's been cool enough to just keep having me back in. And so that kind of, that's the secret (laughs) basically to making it all work. And then just pray that white snake won't overlap into TSO and that everything can, uh, work out there. So how do you get a share gig? I mean, do, does she uh, attend a white snake show and say, Hey, that guy's good. I should get him for my band. Or do you send in a CV and a video and say, Hey, I hear you're looking for a guitarist. Here's my demo. Like, how, how does that get set up? So, well, the story's got two names in it. Okay. Cause, uh, in 2017, I knew white snake wasn't going to tour and I just sent out texts to all like my colleagues or whatever, just people in the business. Like, Hey, 
keep your eyes and ears open, especially for fill-in work, because it wasn't like White Snake was going to be defunct. We were going to be recording, but I just wanted to do something where I could fill in for somebody without, quote-unquote, like joining a new band. Uh, so my buddy Justin Derrico, who plays for Pink and plays uh, guitar on The Voice, uh, basically recommended me to the other guitarist on The Voice, Dave Barry, who played for Cher. So I don't know if you're following me, but Dave, Dave needed a sub, and Justin said, you know you should use. And it was, so Dave and I still have never met, actually. And uh, I filled in for him, and... Dave got more and more busy with the voice because Justin was busy with Tank doing promo stuff, and it just kind of turned into more of a full-time situation. So, uh, as of now, like I said, I'm still I still am like the quote-unquote first call guy, I guess you'd say, in terms of each uh, run or each share gig, and uh, I haven't been able to make it all, but she's been cool with it. Wow, so that's great. So let's get to White Snake uh, in uh, 2000. 15 i guess it was the purple album comes out and that's your first taste of being white snake's guitarist but for the lack of a better word it's a covers album and, and, or it's a reimagining of some of the classic stuff david had sung on but here we are with flesh and blood and you get to be the guitarist it's you know your your chords your decision your vision in a sense and you also get to write with with David uh, half the songs, if not more. So talk to me about that, about putting on your own stamp musically and, and not copying somebody else's guitar sound, but actually being the one that says, oh, hey, this would sound great right here. Okay, well, in defense of the Purple album, uh, I didn't try to copy anybody else's guitar sound. Uh, the idea was to do our own thing with it, and by the time I came in, Reb had pretty much laid down the riff, like the main riff that would have been from each each of those songs. So for me, it was a little bit trickier because we weren't going to have John Lord playing on it and lean as heavily on the keyboard. So I had to kind of picture what a second guitar part would be on those songs. And so you either sometimes just double rev or add things. So it was a lot more of a creative endeavor for me than people would realize. Um, it, it, it definitely... Uh, it definitely involved creativity. It was not like, all right, we're going to re-record these songs and that's that. Uh, and now with flesh and blood, I feel like also it's just the next step. Uh, you, again, it, it, it's going to be David's vision, uh, what the, what the music is going to, what the album is going to sound like. Uh, so you're providing him with riffs and progressions to sing over. So it's definitely that next step in terms of like you're actually like writing, you're in on the song writing. And he was uh, really great about having me in as co-producer, too, which I thought was amazing of him uh, as we would just discuss things creatively uh, during the, the process. I think he realized I was saying more than turn my guitar up louder <laughs> and uh, maybe developed uh, some respect for me in that department. So. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it's the next step. I feel great about it, man. It's great to have it out and uh, great to great to be able to write with David and with Reb. Right. And, 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 and let, me, let me correct myself or apologize. I wasn't trying to push aside the Purple album saying there wasn't some creativity in there, but, but there still was a framework that needed to be respected, whereas Flesh and Blood, it's a white canvas and you get to paint it sort of the way you want, if that's a better explanation. 
Yeah. Yeah. To a degree. I mean, uh, like I said, I think if there's some of that stuff is so, so reimagined on the purple album that it was, it's almost like completely different songs. So I like to stand up for it a little bit. It's like, uh, sometimes a little too easily dismissed as like, yeah, I, you know, maybe some people didn't embrace the concept. Some people did, but I'd certainly more people seem excited about having a new, uh, all original white sink album out. And that's great. I mean, I am too. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely excited and it, it's cool, uh, live to, uh, not have to cover somebody else's guitar solos for a change. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, right. I know this one. These are my licks. I can do these. Right, and by the way, uh, on the Purple album, the uh, the version of "Might Just Take Your Life" I think is is the the ultimate version, and there you go. Uh, but okay, talk talk to me about that in terms of the live show because the the tour has started, and one of the reasons we're talking is because of the M three Festival, which is uh, coming up shortly here in uh, in May in in Maryland. Uh, I, I've been looking and following in the set list, and you've been putting in quite a few of the new tracks, so. So do talk to me about about that and when wanting to play these songs and not relying on the slide it in era stuff or or the 87 album and saying, hey, you know what? We made a great album and we're going to play these. Well, David's great that way. And and there are a lot of hits in the set still. I mean, why success is such a great catalog. So uh, there it's not like people are going to come out and not hear hits. There's a lot of hits uh, being played. But, you know, the thing that's hit us all is that a lot of these choruses are just so like like made for the live environment and it's almost like even if people haven't heard the songs yet they're singing along by the, the second chorus with uh especially songs like hey you the one that just got released and shut up and kiss me and all those ones that are just kind of a gang vocal uh it's really cool to see people latching on that haven't even heard the song and see the song go over live so uh, it's, it, we've all noted that. And I've actually never seen that before, just in terms of like playing songs that people haven't heard and see them actually enjoy it and not just like go to the bathroom or take a beer break. So the stuff's going over great live. Yeah, it really is. So, okay. So talk to me cre- real quickly about the songwriting process. When you sit down wherever, whenever it was, you know, a year ago and, and you start writing these songs, do you come to the process with like 10 songs written and Dave goes over them and says, okay, I want this one, this one, and we can fix that. Or is it really collaborative? And also is there a framework that says, okay, we need to make something that sounds like still of the night. So go uh, talk to me about how the songs are the genesis of the songs, if you will. So most of the stuff started with David would have like a framework for something like he'd have a chorus, like I have this idea. And then where would you go with that? And then he would either say, have that discussion with just me or just Reb or both of us sometimes. And uh, there was a period when Reb and I were both out there and the, the concept was, all right, let's get all the songs demoed. So Reb and I would sit around the desk with David and hash out the form, go down and demo the song with basically just a drum machine and either Rev or me playing bass. And then eventually present that to David and make sure everything was the way he wanted it formalized before we had the band record it. So then, then the band came in and we did things pretty much the way most bands do have the drums go down first, Tommy do his stuff and then just kind of build it up from there one by one. Uh, so yeah, that's the that's the basic gist. Sorry if I'm rambling too much, but that's that's kind of how it, it comes together. There was some stuff that started with Reb's ideas or my ideas, 
and David would build from those. But a lot of the stuff started with him having a chorus or having an idea. Okay. Okay. And, but, but there's none of this, Hey, we need to make something that sounds like that 1987. In fact, so it's about moving white snake forward. It's not about reliving Mm, the past. Yeah, not at all. David doesn't, he doesn't operate like that. There's like no, uh, yeah. I mean, I've been a part of writing sessions like that with people or with bands that they kind of intentionally go with a derivative production style. They'll say like, like, let's make a new version of this kind of song. And, uh, I mean, that's cool. Whatever, you know, it's, I, I like to roll with whatever style I'm working with, with whoever I'm, I'm uh, working with. But Dave, that's not David's thing. He, uh, I, I don't know. He just likes to find what fits under the Whitesnake umbrella. And these days, it's it's a pretty wide umbrella in terms of the body of work that the, the brand Whitesnake has uh, put out over the years. So that makes it kind of easy. And uh, he just pulls out of us what he thinks is going to fit best. And I, uh, the way I've described the album to people, especially the deluxe version, where you get uh, even the songs that were our bonus tracks, I feel like there's an influence from every every genre or not, not not every genre every era of white snake like so like the early white snake stuff like i think there's some like reb's blues song can't do right for doing wrong that ended up a bonus track is like something that the early white snake fans would love because it's david singing blues he sang great on it and reb played great blues guitar on it uh and then i think we've got some stuff that sounds like it's influenced by the geffen era stuff david usually i'll refer to it as the slide it in 87 slip of the tongue type of thing and then i think there's some stuff that is reminiscent of good to be bad or forevermore as well so i feel like there's influences from all of those eras on this album for whatever it's worth and um so i think white think fans of any of the eras should have something on this that they dig yeah no i agree now when we when we did an interview for the Purple album back in, in you know, whatever it was, 2015, 2014, uh, you had talked to me about how David likes the idea of revisiting or reworking some of his older songs that he wanted to re-record the 87 album, if I, if I remember correctly, and re-records. Is that something that, that he still brings up and that's why he sort of settled on the Purple album? Is there a chance that you might re-record some of the older Whitesnake songs and give them a 2019 or a 2020 uh, you know, makeover, for lack of a better word? Uh, well, you know, I did that with the, the album Restless Heart that wasn't even released uh, globally but because that was intended to basically be a David Coverdale solo album. And then the label really wanted him to release it under the white snake name for obvious reasons. Uh, but it, it was kind of produced with Adrian Vandenberg playing like single passes through like multiple amps, very Jimmy page style. Like it was kind of in that Coverdale page type of production, uh, mode and not, not really playing like the fat humbucker, Les Paul sound like, kind of playing more of like a Strat sound on the album. So David really over the years has wanted Restless Heart to sound more like a White Snake album. So he tasked me with that, uh, gosh, about a year and a half ago now or something a year. So that I think there people are going to 
hear a re-release of that where I played on it and Derek Sherinian played keys and uh, we just kind of beefed it up. I mean, I just, I didn't replace anything Adrian did. I just added to it. And a lot of that was just honestly doubling him really, really tightly with a Les Paul uh, just so it sounded more like a white snake album. So anyway, David's super happy about it. I heard it. I think it sounds great too. It's, it's, it's like tastefully done. So it doesn't really deter from anything that Adrian did on there or, um, the rhythm section, which is amazing. But yeah, so there's, there was an opportunity to do some playing that David asked me to, to do that. Yeah. fits into the description you're talking about. Um, well, uh, let me pause for a second. Cause I, I I'm floored by that because the restless heart album, which came out in 97, uh, which was called David Coverdale and white snake, which was the strangest title ever for an album because David Coverdale is white snake. Um, so you you've re you've re, redone that a bit, or you've you've done a little bit like slide it in and layer layer you know like John Sykes would used to do take an album that already existed and layer some some third parts on top of it. is that is that sort of it and right right oh that is amazing and for fans that don't know the album it didn't come out in North America but there was a few songs on there um, too many tears um, is one of them yeah absolutely. One of the greatest songs David Coverdale has ever recorded. There's about three different versions on there. Uh, there's an acoustic version and there's a girl. Anyway, you need to hear that. And I'm glad this is going to be, I guess, a fourth version of it because it is, it is, it's one of the best songs he's ever done. So that's something that you think will come out in 2019 or 2020? I don't know the release date on it. I know I, I David sent it to me and I got to hear it and it, it sounds great. I was really excited about it. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great songs on there. It's not, it doesn't have that, uh, 87 style at all. It doesn't sound like, uh, it, the songs were a little more, I don't know, gosh, I don't even know how to describe it, but I, I, I gotta say, man, Adrian Vandenberg, he is a great musician, just a great writer. Him and David really wrote a lot of great music together. And, and I like a lot of the songs on that Restless Heart record. Oh, it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, uh, Crying is a big song. Crying is, is a song that sounds a lot like a, a Judgment Day or something like that. It's a big chorus and a big thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Restless Heart is a great rock track. And, and oh, God, all right, I, I'm, I'm excited, but uh, I was gonna, I was gonna lead to this. So let me get there. The uh, the new slided in box that came out in February, and so I guess it's sort of a, a yes or no answer. Did you uh, do anything on that? Were are any of the songs with a little Joel Hoekstra salt and pepper on it, or or is that just really it was a remaster of what was already there? No, a, well, a remix. There's a, okay. there's uh, a yeah, remix re of it that, that yeah. So uh, remix, remaster, and that's it. So no, I didn't add anything or have anything to do with that one. Um, I mean, there might be some stuff down the road. David's always doing reissues and box sets, and there might be some contributions uh, uh, coming uh, with that, but nothing I, I'm at liberty to discuss really right now. Nice. But, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he's... Yeah, he, David's. He, he likes to get things in order for his. I guess the, the the way he he wished things. He has regrets about. Uh, I guess maybe some of the sonic end of things as years go by, and I'll say like I know that with Restless Heart he expressed that it, it, that to him it just didn't sound White Snake enough. It didn't have the Les Paul sound. That was really the big thing that he wanted on it. So. Um, 
there's things like that that he wants to get done just for his legacy. Well, uh, Dave is a very, very wise man because that is, uh, I'm actually very excited about that because I love that album. It's so undiscovered that I'm glad that it'll get a, a second chance at being discovered. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Um, but let me just, just quickly move on because I, I know we, we, we're going to go for 2025 here. You, of course, have put out an album in 2015, Dying to Live, Joel Hoekstra's 13. You worked, of course, with Jess Scott Soto, Michael Sweet, and others. I know you still keep in touch with them. I know you still do some work with them. Is there anything in the pipeline in terms of a solo album or you appearing on their albums or a sweet hoaxtra double, not a double album, but a, you know, <laughs> it, it is, what's up in terms of non-White Snake uh, music? Yeah. Well, Michael Sweet's new solo album that he has come out, I co-wrote two of the songs and played on them as well. And his vision, I think, with that one was to have a bunch of guitar players. So it wasn't necessarily like the album that we talk about that someday we're going to make an album together. <laughs> we're still talking about that, but uh, just figuring out the business. But yeah, so there'll be two co-writes and uh, that I played on on his new solo album called 10 that's coming out. And uh, I'm, the follow-up for Dying to Live, the Joel Hoekstra's 13 album from 2015 you're talking about, uh, fully written, Vinny Apathy's done with the drums, Tony Franklin is done with the bass, and uh, Russell Allen currently has it and is working on uh, vocals on it. So it's just kind of developing uh, like at the pace where everybody's schedules can handle it. Uh, as happens with these things. So I don't really have a release date or anything like that, but I dig it. I like the songs better this time around, and um, I, I hope hopefully uh, we'll be able to get it done soon and everybody will like it. Oh, I can't wait. And uh, just real quick here before we, we wrap up, uh, I did mention that I'm going to go see you at the M3 Festival. Um, talk to me a little bit about the importance of festivals like M3 or up here, Heavy Montreal and stuff, because a lot of bands... Uh, that are on M3, if it wasn't for the festival, they wouldn't have a spotlight. They wouldn't have uh, the chance to be in front of uh, 15,000 people. Just talk to me about the importance of having those outlets like those festivals to, to go play. Uh, yeah, I just think it's it's just an element that helps keep the rock scene healthy, right? I mean, uh, I think uh, obviously supporting live music all the way across and uh, get a supporting recorded music by actually buying it and not sharing it and um, hopefully getting the streaming issue in order so people can actually like live again <laughs> and, and and make money when they work hard at something. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, an element that obviously is important to the success of bands. You, you said it in your set up asking me what my thoughts would be and and that would be yeah because like some of the bands maybe further down on the bill an opportunity to play for a large crowd and sell some merch get get some exposure so it's awesome to be headlining yeah it is and um uh, uh what was i going to say here just uh, and i'll finish on this uh, you of course uh, Coming into Whitesnake, at the time you've come in, you've had a chance to play all the different riffs, whether it's Mick Moody or Mel Galley or John Sykes. or uh, Who is sort of the, the one that, for you, has been the most interesting to figure out their parts as a guitarist and go, oh, that son of a gun, look what he's doing here. This is kind of cool. Like, Which one or which eras are, are, are the ones where you sort of go, that was really fun. That was good. That was really good. 
You know? Oh, I don't know, dude. I think they're all really good. I, sure. I'm yet to hear a White Snake song that I don't like, and I'm yet to like. I mean, it's I I like covering all the music like that we've been able to do live. Uh, just I have liked every single song we've had in our set since I've been in this band. Oh, well, so have I, I like every guitar. I like every guitar player that's played in White Snake. I don't. I don't. I don't really have one where I go. Well, that didn't really. You know. Uh, I would say slip of the tongue. Steve Vai gets too much slack or too, too much slack from people because it followed up 87 only. Right. So, uh, it, it's all, all the guitar playing that's happened throughout white sync is amazing. And, uh, just to be a part of it and, uh, a, a small part of the history is an honor for me, dude. Yeah. That's what I say. Uh, and, uh, we will see you soon. And as we say in Montreal, uh, thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Always, always a pleasure. Thank you. I'm looking forward to seeing you at M3, buddy. Yeah, it's going to be great. Good deal. And and your buddy Steve Brown will be there, so it's going to be uh, it's oh, going to be man. a trio oh, of uh, a trio of disaster. It's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to seeing Steve O as well. He's kicking ass. Glad to see him doing so well, filling in for Phil and, and Vivian, and couldn't be happier for him. Yep. Merci, Monsieur. Thank you. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. And a very big thank you to Joel Hoekstra and uh, folks. Well, here he is. The one, the only, the mighty Steve Brown. Back for part two. How's that? How does that sound? Does that sound good? I love it. It, ha- it has such a magical ring to it. It's like it almost sounds like you're announcing Van Halen at the Montreal Forum back in 1984. It sounds oh. that good. Do you know, by the way, and I know you just said that randomly, but my mom had bought tickets to that 1984 show uh, for us. And she mm-hmm. said, oh, you and your brother go to the show because my mom would buy tickets all the time because she, she, she worked right by where the forum was. So she would just anyway. And she said, you and your brother go to the show. And I said, no, nah, I, I don't really like him. I'm, you know, and, and, and I look back at that now going, the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> I missed out. I'm thinking, I'm thinking the same thing, Mitch. You must have had a, a moment of temporary brain damage because that is one of the dumbest things you've ever said. Yeah. Because you know what? Guess who the opening band was? Autograph. That's right, my friend. And that leads me into our next guest, right, Mitch? Yes, the one, the only Steve Lynch. By the way, Mr. Lynch talks about his flirtation with perhaps joining Kiss back in the day. So so there was that. And then he did talk about the Van Halen tour. Um, trying to think what he said about the Van Halen tour. Something about uh, I, I, we, we didn't have. Oh, I remember what he says. And you can hear in the interview that uh, one of the guys on his crew was uh, jogging buddies with David Lee Roth. And so uh, gave him a tape and Roth said, I just come on the tour. And it's like, wait a minute. You got on a Van Halen tour because your buddy was jogging with David Lee Roth. Like how? how well, <laughs> how awesome is that? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I heard it was a, the story's a little different. I think he was talking about Kenny Richards, the original drummer and autograph. He sadly oh, passed right, away. Right, 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 right. That's Kenny. Kenny Richards was buds with, you know, party buds with Ross back in the day. And it was a bet. And he, Dave, I guess it was probably, they were probably, uh, how does, how does Alan say it so much? We were, we were, um, what was his phrase? We were d- dancing or something when they're doing, you know, a certain white powder. But I think it was one of those nights in the 80s when they were partying down and Dave, 
bet Kenny, if you can put a band together that's good or whatnot, you guys can open for Van, you know, open for the next Van Halen tour. And sure enough, Kenny was able to put together autographs and, uh, and, and, you know, the rest is history. And uh, I remember when I saw Van Halen at the Metal Ends Arena in 1984. It's actually in March, you know, of 1984. And uh, I remember I was in there early and all of a sudden this band came out and they were, to me, they were kick ass. The drummer was nuts. He had like a Tommy Lee thing going on, crazy red hair. But I remember the guitar player very well. And I remember as a little kid and a huge Van Halen fan, and I'd already been playing for a couple of years, watching this guitar playing. He was doing this unique sort of tapping style that was different than Ed's. And I was like, man, these guys are frigging cool. And then a couple months later, watching MTV, sure enough, the Turn Up the Radio um, video comes on. And I was like, holy shit, that was that band autograph that opened for, uh, for Van Halen, you know, a couple months ago. And I've been a fan ever since. And I still have their first, first and second albums on vinyl. And I bought back in the day, Steve Lynch had a uh, guitar book called The Right Touch which I have somewhere at my mom's house back in Paramus, New Jersey. I told Steve last year we played a festival together, and I said, man, i got to get you to autograph that book, man. And I actually still use some of, the, of his you know, two-handed tapping techniques that he uh, you know, taught me from that book. So this is a great interview. Can't wait, can't wait to hear it. It's great. And, and what you need to do is uh, bring that, that book to, to M3 and – I will take a picture and we'll throw it up on all the socials of you getting it signed by the man himself. And by the way, Mr. Lynch, we'll call him that, is so exceptionally nice. I mean, just he's he's such a nice guy. And by the way, so is Joel. But the, the one thing that, that surprised me about Autograph is a couple of years ago, they played the Brass Monkey in Ottawa. And, and I say this during the interview. And I went there expecting it to be a good show. I had I, I wasn't expecting it to suck or anything. But I thought, hey, this will just be a fun night out. It'll be a good show. And they left me with my jaw on the floor. They were not only a good show, not only a great show, they were out of this world. They were tight. And, and Simon Daniels, the vocalist, was fantastic. The songs had a new energy to them. And that's not to put down, um, what's his name, Plunkett? Steve Plunkett? Yes, Steve Plunkett. Not, it's not to put him down, but but Daniels has brought a whole new. Uh, do we want to call it aggressiveness or edginess to the songs? And 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 the band yeah. was just. I would, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, definitely some uh, youth as well. He's uh, you know a little bit younger than than Steve and Randy, but uh, you know, great. They're, they're killer, man. I'm so happy yeah, to are. see them back on the scene. And uh, for me, you know, it's part of you know, my, uh, my history and my upbringing, because, you know, like I said, man, I was there in 1984 when they were uh, totally unknown and I got to see him and I was like blown away. And, you know, and I can honestly say that Steve has, you know, certainly been an influence on me, you know? So it's, uh, it's very cool that Steve Lynch influenced Steve Brown. It, it, um, It is. And, and it'll be cooler when Steve Brown joins, uh, autograph that that'll be real. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, the name Steve, I think there's more famous guitar players with the first name Steve than any other name. So, you know, you have Steve Vai, Steve Lukather, Steve Lynch, Steve Brown, Steve Clark. Um, you know, well, by the way, we are recording this on Steve Clark's birthday. You know that, April 23rd. Oh, that's, that's, that's right. Yeah, God bless Steve, man. He was, I spent uh, many, many memorable 
days and nights with Steve um, back in, you know, when I first met the Def Leppard guys and, you know, he was always such a sweetheart and, uh, you know, I mean, I know in the Def Leppard camp, he's missed every day. So yeah, God bless Steve on his birthday. And, yeah. You know, well, I'll ask you this real quick because you, you've had to learn the parts on both ends in the Def Leppard camp. You've, mm-hmm. you've had, sure. uh, how complicated or how intricate maybe is a better word were Steve's parts because you, you look at Def Leppard and you think, well, okay, they're, they're sort of a, a, a hard rock pop band, not to, to disparage them in any sense. But you forget that there's an incredible level of musicianship that's going into all of this, both vocally and, and, and backing vocals. And so how intricate was it to learn Steve's parts? It's not just strap on a guitar and we, I've got this. You, it's, 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 a, it's a master class. Yeah, well, it is. And the one thing, you know, and the guys, you know, Joe and Joe and Sav and, and Phil have told me, you know, that Steve, you know, he, he, he didn't write songs per se. He came up with these uh, incredible parts, you know, Gods of War, you know, you listen to that riff and, you know, the, the earlier stuff. Um, he, he wrote very differently. Like if you listen to switch six, two, five, which, you know, the band, and when I play with them, we played and they play at every show as a tribute to him. You know, you can hear, um, he very unorthodox, very unique and, uh, like no other. And, and I've told people this and I say it, um, with, uh, I say it proudly that, learning the Def Leppard stuff was so much harder than I originally thought it was going to be because, and I think, you know, that people that listen to the music, it's so well produced and well done that it just, everything sounds perfect to you and everything flows. But when you have to learn it, it's a different, it's a different animal. I, and no pun intended with that, but for me, it was, you know, they're writing with Mutt Lang and the parts that Steve came up with his unique style of riff writing and chord progressions were very unique to me, you know, bringing on the heartbreak, uh, just incredible stuff. And, uh, you know, him and, you know, and Pete Willis as well, they wrote very unique out of the box kind of, uh, riffs, yeah. uh, you know, let's, let's put it that way. And, uh, you know, so God bless Steve. What a, what a sweet guy he was. And, you know, I wish he was still here. Oh yeah. So do I. And, and we'll get over to Steve Lynch in a minute, but I'll ask you this one last Def Leppard question. I know that Phil Collin and I believe Vivian use steel picks or metal picks when they're playing because they want that extra drive, that extra chunk. Do you have to go to that kind of pick when you play with them or do you use just a regular, but I don't mean, but not plastic, but you know what I mean? A re- just a regular pick. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't use the metal picks. Both Phil and Viv, they play Phil, especially he plays, you know, 13 gauge strings, which is the 13 is high E and his low is like, you know, he just loves the sound of, you know, to do Phil's, you know, sort of the way he tells me just the tone of it, you know, the metal pick against the metal strings, heavy strings, the intonation he thinks is better. And, you know, but the metal pick, a lot of guys, Brad Gillis uses a metal pick. I've used it in the studio. Eddie Van Halen goes back and forth. He was using the metal picks for a while. Um, back in the day, Warren Martini. you know, there's something about it, but for me, no, nah, I just use heavy, you know, regular, um, the coded, you know, uh, in tune guitar picks, you know, the grip, grip picks, 
you know, but uh, now the metal picks, you know, there's definitely something to them. For me, I use lighter gauge strings, so they just eat the strings up too, uh, too quickly. But there is a definite tonal, uh, definite thing. And, you know, Phil, of course, has his phenomenal sound with Def Leppard. So, you know, if I, if I were Phil, I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> okay, so, so, so I guess the question was, they're, they're not sort of forcing you to, to replicate it exactly. Like, you need to have the same drive and the same picks and the same gauge, and you need to just basically be Phil, but not Phil. <laughs> No, yeah, and vice versa. When I was playing for Viv, for you know, Viv, the right. most important thing is, you know, I was able to put my own signature on whatever solos I was doing as long as I stayed true. And that's the same thing I do when I play with Dennis DeYoung or with Danger Danger, with Eric Martin. I'm not trying to copy anybody, but if there is a signature part, then I have to do that. I mean, I really couldn't, when I played for Phil, you know, last year, I really couldn't change the guitar solo, the iconic guitar solo of Photograph, but I was able to put in, you know, I was able to do my little thing at the end that was, you know, more my style, that fast, super fast lick at the end going into the, you know, out pre-chorus than do what Phil did. And they're totally cool with that. And Joe being, you know, kind of the leader of the band, Joe and Sav, you know, they always told me, you know, man, the most important part is the vocals. So, you know, I think I told you this when I did my first show with Def Leppard, my first full band show, Joe pulled me aside and he said, go out there, do a great show. But he's like, I don't care what you do on guitar, get the parts. But the most important thing is to be there for all the vocal parts. And that's where, you know, the key thing is they know I, I know the material pretty much better than they do. So I'm not going to fuck around and play some out of the world, you know, off the fucking grid guitar part. I'm going to do what's right for the song. And if there's any iconic guitar solo or iconic guitar lick, I'm going to play it, you know. But if there is, you know, when I was doing the guitar solo, I'll let it go. I would do my own thing, kind of a mix of what Viv was doing and what Steve Clark originally did on the record. Right. And by the way, that you know? was that was, by the way, the best Joe Elliott impression I've ever heard. In fact, I thought I was talking to Joe there for a second. It was <laughs> it was terrific. It was terrific. But uh, speaking of terrific, let us get over to Steve Lynch autograph, another band that you will see at M3 this year. In fact, all the cool bands will be at M3, and all the cool bands have been at M3 over... Is this the 10th or 11th year, by the way? Quickly remind me. It's the, I, be, I think it's the 10th anniversary. Right. So, yeah, it's tremendous. And, you know, uh, one of those hugely successful festivals that, you know, endures year in and year out and, uh, you know, keeps the hard rock alive. And we thank, you know, Saint all Eric. the guys, and Eric Baker and everybody at M3 for keeping it going. Merryweather Post-Pavilion, man. Still, yeah. Still standing and refurbished. And by the way, I, I checked the weather there today, and it said the real feel was 90 degrees in freaking April. And it's like, 90 degrees? I'm down for that. But uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm down for that. And I, and I will end on this. Uh, for next year and the year to come and the year to come, I'm just going to throw three names out there that I think I, that I would love to see there. Uh, not American bands. I would love to see from the U.K., Thunder, I would love to see from the UK, The Wild Hearts, and I would love to see from Canada, Honeymoon Suite. And I've had the debate with Eric. He says he doesn't think that they're the right band for the for the festival. I'm like, yes, they are. New Girl Now and, and Stay in the Light and, and um, Feel It Again are as 
rock and roll or heavy metal rock and roll as as any of the bands but anyway by the way who would you like to see that that that's you know from the outside not 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 your rats or the la guns or the warrens who's sort of that the one band that's sort of out there that you'd like to see there that's a tough question Mitch. i'd really have to think about that because i'd like to be able to think about it and give a give a band you know real props that I really like and give them the opportunity. But I mean, you know, they're for, for the most part, you know, all the American bands, it is very much an American festival True. in that sense. True. Uh, and so, you know, you have to look at it that way. I mean, I love, I'm a huge fan of honeymoon suite. I personally, I don't think they would be w- maybe what you would think they would wow, be. Here. Okay. I don't think enough. I honestly don't think that crowd would get it. It's too much of a, you know, like I said, you know, old Canuck school thing. heavy metal parking okay. lot, you know, crowd. Um, but Thunder would fit I from think, the UK. Thunder, I, Thunder, I think would be great. I think Thunder would be great. Um, I think uh, Black Star Riders, I think would be a great oh, band for yeah, it. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. You know? Yeah, that's a good that's a good call. But all right, so let's you know what you are going to come back and record next week's episode with Kip Winger and Eric Baker. And I do talk to Eric about bands that should or shouldn't be there. So think of a couple of bands. And, and I'm thinking, you know, something from like overseas or Japan or Canada, you know, because we know that the American circuit's all there. But there are some of these bands that I think need to be flown in. And, um, hmm. Yeah, well, so we'll, uh, you know, we have Whitesnake this year, I guess. We had, we've had Europe in the past. So, so think of a couple of names. We'll get back to it. But here, without further ado, is the one, the only... You know what? He's also mighty. Steve Lynch. We are speaking with autograph guitarist Steve Lynch. The latest album is Get Off Your Ass, though, uh, Steve, that came out a couple of years ago. So um, are we going to see something new soon? Yes, we are, actually. Um, I'm gonna, we are um, just going to be writing singles. Um, we just released the single off of the off of the, that album uh we've got uh three singles out now probably going to release uh we just released meet me halfway and then the next one we're going to release is the turn up the radio live version that's from nottingham england well wow, that's uh, that's that, a great live version yeah yeah that came out really good i was really surprised because usually live versions don't come out so well but <laughs> that one came out uh very well so i was, I was quite pleased with that well, okay. Let me ask you about the live thing because I saw you in Ottawa at the Brass Monkey. Probably, I guess, just when the album came out, two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, and you guys. And it doesn't happen very often anymore because I've seen too many shows. But you blew me away. I mean, I just expected it to be a very good rock show. I didn't expect it to be bad, or I expected it to be good. But you were above good. You were in the. Oh, yeah, you were in the blow my mind uh, category. So, just let me just quickly talk to you about the current lineup with with Simon Daniels. Um, just talk to me a little bit about about the chemistry because you always talk about bands with chemistry and oh, the originals had chemistry, but this lineup has the chemistry. So, just talk to me about finding San- Simon and just this gelling of this band. Well, um, what happened when we first uh, started to reform, it was with uh, Kenny, the uh, original drummer. And um, then we, uh, you know, we asked the singer, the original singer, Steve Plunkett, uh, if he wanted to do it. And he he said, no, his, uh, he's too busy with um, writing with TV and movie stuff. And he said his 
his voice just wouldn't do that stuff anymore, which is understandable, you know, and, and uh, you know, because uh, sometimes your vocal cords just don't uh, produce as well as they used to when you were younger. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so then we got introduced to Simon Daniels through Larry Moran, who actually does the uh, Monsters of the Brock Cruise. And uh, we checked him out on YouTube and everything, got together with a, in a rehearsal with him, and, and things worked out very, very well. And uh, we just went, wow, this guy's a great replacement. It's going to take us in a little bit of a different direction because uh, the fact that, um, you know, he doesn't sound like Steve Plunkett, but, um, you know, he uh, he adds a new flair into it. And so we decided this this would be great. This will be something that uh, we, can, we can definitely uh, rely on. And um, so then we started writing and everything, and and then next thing you know, we have a new album and everything. So um, it worked out very well. And yeah. Kenny, the original drummer, didn't work out, unfortunately. Um, so we got a replacement drummer for him, uh, Mark Whelan. And uh, so it's kind of an international band now. Mark uh, Whelan, drummer, is from Switzerland. And Simon is from uh, Brazil. So <laughs> and then Randy and I are just, uh, you know, basically... I'm from Seattle and he's from Northern California originally, but uh, obviously with the autograph years, we knew each other from living in LA. So and that's it. Yeah. That's it. The, so, the chemistry. Yeah. The, the chemistry is great. So I'll, I'll, we are going to talk a little bit about M3 cause that's why we're on the phone. The, uh, the festival takes place okay. at the beginning of May down in Columbia, Maryland. Um, and of course the fans are going to see this live band, this live autograph. And they're going to, they're going to agree with me that it's going to blow them away, but just quickly, Talk to me about the importance of festivals like M3, because, you know, a lot of the bands from from the scene, they'll go out, they'll, they'll open for somebody or, or they'll do, you know, the bar tours and stuff. But festivals like this get to put you in front of a whole lot of people. And there's an, an incredible excitement. You know, people fly in from Europe and Canada and they just talk to me quickly about festivals like M3 and how important they are to our scene. Uh, they're extremely important because of the fact that people get to see a plethora of great bands from that time era, which is, you know, this is basically based on uh, um, the whole 80s scene. And um, people get to see all these different bands from the 80s scene. It's just uh, M3 is one of the, the best, you know, of, of these types of concerts in the United States every year. And so we feel honored to be on it. This will be our third time. And uh, it's just it's great for the fans to be able to see so many of these bands and reminisce about those times back in the eighties and, and hear their new material. And, and uh, it's just, it's just great. It's just a really cool event. There's such a camaraderie with, uh, with the audience and uh, with the bands on stage. And there's a great camaraderie that's happening backstage with all the bands that we knew back in, back in LA, back in the eighties. And so it's like, it's almost like a homecoming kind of type of thing. Um, it is. So, uh, yeah, it's it's like a, you know, family gets together and then we reminisce about those old times. And it's, it's a it's a very cool thing. Very cool thing. Everybody's much more mature. You know, you don't have the uh, all the different <laughs> distractions that were going on back then, um, such as, uh, you know, nobody's doing the drugs or heavy drinking or anything anymore. Well, people are still doing the heavy drinking, but. But, you know, it's a, it's a whole different atmosphere. Everybody is much healthier and everybody's still out there doing it, which is really, really cool. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right about M3. It's a, it's a family event for the bands, but it's also a family event for the fans because I've been a couple of times. And when you get down there, 
you'll you'll meet people from California and Jersey that you never see at home because they don't live here. And you get there and it's like, hey, Mitch, hey, this, hey, that, hey, Bob. hey, And it's, it's just a great thing. Uh, let me just take up on something you said before. Uh, you said that Autograph is going to focus on new music being mostly singles. Is, the, is, is sort of the album an outdated mode? Is it an outdated kind of thing for bands to put together? Is it better just to focus on one song or two songs or three songs at a time in, in this sort of day and age? That's where it seems to be going with everything. And, um, you know, I, I spoke with Autograph about this, you know, just like if we want to release more material, let's just do it a single at a time. There's no reason to really put out an album. Just a single at a time. It's the same thing with um, with my fiance and I. We have a new project going. It's called 222. Uh, her, name, her name's Elena Ray, and she's actually a well-known country artist. But we're not doing country. It's not real. It's, it's rock, but it's like got a whole different flavor to it. And we're just releasing a single at a time as well. We're not putting out a full album unless, well, until I should say that we have enough material to put onto an album, you know, but we're just going to release single at a time. It's the same, the same kind of deal. Because I, you know, I was just interviewing Gino Vanelli from the famed uh-huh. black. Yeah. From the, and, and he took it very differently. He, he said that, you know, in the eighties, he was a singles guy, but it's about the album. It's about the journey. It's about the concept. It's about a listening experience. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure it's still the same for you in terms of the listening experience and, and, and taking, right. a, taking the listener on a journey. You're not sort of uh, discounting that, but there is a different sort of vibe in terms of the market. You know, the, 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 the sort of the middle-aged rock fan just wants to hear one great new tune. Um, talk to me about... Uh, that point right there that you just brought up is that people really only want to hear one song at a time. You see, uh, I, I understand Gino's point, but but the thing is, is that um, you know, it's it's today when you release an album, there's only one song that gets noticed, and it was like that back in the you know sixties, seventies, and eighties as well. Um, is is that when you release an album, you only get attention to one or two songs on there, and and realistically, if you if you just release a single at a time, then you're really pushing that one song. You know, and I, but I understand Gino's point because I'm I'm a big, you know, Led Zeppelin fan and Pink Floyd and, and Moody Blues and Genesis and all that. Where they used to run a lot of their songs together, and they didn't even release singles. And I thought that was really cool. I look at it like the trend is now, and the way that I see it, best getting um, that that single out there and the most recognition is just to really push one song at a time. It really is. And if you look at Autograph's uh, career, uh, you know, and this is not to be disparaging, but a lot of folks know you for a single. They know you for Turn Up the Radio, when right. You, right? When you listen to Kiss, people go, well, okay, Kiss Destroyer, and you know them as an album. Or you listen to Led Zeppelin, you go, oh, Led Zeppelin this, and you know them for the album. But for Autograph, you go, oh, Turn Up the Radio. Oh, yeah. And and so, you know... Um, let me, let me just take you back real quick to, to 19, sort of 82, 83, 84. Before you signed the three-album deal with RCA, before signing, please, before that's the stuff, uh, from what I understand, you were out in L.A., and you get this call from Paul Stanley of KISS. And what what was the purpose of that call? Did they did, Were you sort of being considered to join KISS? Was it Were, were you 
in the running to be the new Ace Fraley? What, what was sort of that phone call and what was its purpose? And ultimately you went, yeah, listen, I got an album deal, so I, I got to go there. What happened was um, Paul Stanley called me personally, and it was like 1 o'clock in the morning my time in L.A., and he was in New York, so it was obviously 4 o'clock in the morning his time. But he called up and said, um, you know, he asked me, is, is this Steve Lynch? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, this is uh, Paul Stanley from Kiss. And, and I hung up um, because I thought it was somebody just joking with me. <laughs> and then, then he uh, called back and uh, said, no, Steve, this is, this is really Paul Stanley from Kiss. Mike Varney from Guitar Player Magazine gave me your number. I went, oh, okay. Uh, sorry about that. And uh, so we started talking, but... Um, you know, they basically said they wanted me to be in the band. They wasn't really even an audition or anything because they heard my demo tape and everything, and they saw pictures and they saw different promos and everything. So they just went, you know, we want you in the band. And I said, you know, I'm really, I'm really sorry, but uh, I just signed a three album record deal today with RCA Records. You know, so the timing was just off, and that's the way that happened. And that's the whole story, right? You, you you had this one call, and and do you ever think maybe yep. I should have, maybe I could have? Did did you ever have a moment of of oh, maybe I should have done that? Um, no, actually, no, because of the fact that uh, you know I was in on the writing. It was a new band. I wasn't joining a band that was already formed. Um, you know, I was, I was in an upstart band, which I wanted to be a part of. You know, where you're in on all the decisions being made. And all of that. So basically, that's I decided to go autograph. And, uh, you know, I hadn't really, I didn't really know much about Kiss at all. I never listened to him. Well, I'm, 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 I'm shocked that you, you, you didn't listen to Kiss. Um, then let me get you right back here to, uh, where was it, 2014, I guess, right? Uh, talk to me about putting the band back together. What, what was sort of the plan? Because we're, we're sort of five years in. Yeah, you meet Randy, I guess, at NAMM, and you go, okay, let's, let's, let's give this a shot. Was, was new music and, and sort of the five-year plan laid out, or was it like, hey, let's go play a couple of shows and sort of see how it feels? Talk, talk to me about the reunion and, and saying, okay, let's, let's, let's crank it up again. Actually, I was, I was, um, you know, I talked to Randy a bit about it, you know, at the 2011 NAMM show and, uh, down in Anaheim, California. And then we kind of tossed around the idea. Uh, but then we didn't really talk about it until, um, a couple of years later in the early part of 2013 when, um, when, uh, Kenny, uh, the original drummer wanted to, uh, wanted to get it back together. And so, so then we started, me and Randy started talking again, and we started thinking, well, you know, give it a try. Let's go out there and, and do some shows. And at first we thought that, you know, it was just going to be, you know, playing the old autograph stuff and possibly with the original singer. Um, so uh, anyway, I was a bit hesitant on doing it, actually, because I had released a solo album uh, called Network 23, and I was more interested in promoting that. And, um, and uh Anyway, so, but then I started thinking about it. And I thought, well, it'll be fun to go out and play some shows again. But then it ended up the, the original singer didn't want to do it. And so that's when Simon came into the picture. And I thought, okay, well, this should be fun. It'll be different. And, you know, then the, the more we started playing and everything, the more I enjoyed it. And so this is five, over five years later, we're still doing it. And, and so I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I took the step out there and decided to do it again and, and uh, do this reunion. 
it turned out really great so far. Now, you, you did mention the solo album. Is that something that you still uh, want to do, get out there and be Steve Lynch and, and have your own music and, and have your own solo stuff? Or was the success of Autograph, this, the, the new version, so overwhelming? You go, oh, okay, let me focus on this instead. Well, I'm I'm focusing on you know the new autograph, of course, you know, and um, but I'm also looking at doing uh, different things. Like I mentioned earlier, that I never really listened to Kiss that much um, because I really didn't listen to radio. I was heavily influenced by you know bands that were more experimental, and that's that's why um, because I was into you know like I said earlier, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Moody Blues, Genesis, stuff like that, and and um, some more obscure bands as well. Um, so anyway, um, what I like to do is I like to take a little bit of a sidestep and do a different venture and go off and do something that's more experimental and has different flavors in music that, that doesn't really have to specifically fit into a genre. Um, it's more like world music where it's, it's a bunch of different styles combined using different drum beats and everything like that. And, and, um, and just experimenting, you know, as much as you possibly can using your imagination. And, and there's, there's no limits, not trying to write a single for radio. It's just writing music. And that's what, uh, me and my fiance are doing right now the, with the, uh, uh, 222, uh, project. And, uh, it's just going to be more experimental and, and, uh, with autograph, what it's going to be is more geared towards, um, you know, uh, a radio play, which of course the, the project 222 will be also have some probably radio friendly songs, but, um, you know, it's, it's just going to be a different venture. Cause I like to, I like to experiment. I like to get out there and innovate and create different things and different landscapes and everything. So that's what this is all about. Now, just for, just to clarify, uh, the the project with your fiance is it called Project Two Twenty Two or is it actually called just Two Twenty Two? It's just called Two Twenty Two. Okay, and and so, it, like you, if I got it right, that's more of a country thing, then, right? No, uh-uh. no. Oh, okay. Country. Yeah, it's a big. She's a country singer, but really, her heart. Um, you know, she does amazing at country, you know, and she's, she's had songs on the radio and everything. And so she's pretty well known in the whole national scene and all that. But, uh, she grew up really listening to, to female rock vocalists. And that's where her heart is at. She loves country, but, um, she wants to do something different and she wants to do something more exper- experimental like, like me. And so we started talking about this project and, and here we are, we're writing songs for it right now and uh, looking forward to putting them out there. And it's just, uh, it's just a very innovative, you know, cutting edge, you know, brand new thing that I think people are going to be really interested in. Um, you know, an autograph will carry on what we've been doing and uh, putting out, you know, single here and there. And, and so it'll keep moving forward. Okay, now you see... I, I didn't have I did all my research, but I didn't have anything on on this two twenty two project. So you're you're going to have to school me a bit. So when does this come out? What sort of the timeline is? Is this something that you finished and it's going to be out like whatever in August, or is this something that you haven't really started and talk to me in twenty twenty? What what sort of the timeline on this project? Well, we just came up with the concept just a, a couple months ago. Okay, and so the whole thing is very fresh. Now we're we're writing together right now. And uh, we have uh, one song that we're recording right now. It's called Lipstick Diaries. And um, 
And uh, we're going to be finishing that one up, kind of going back and forth. I'm still down here in Tampa, and she's still in Nashville. We're just traveling back and forth to see each other. And uh, so uh, what we're going to be looking at probably for the release on that is probably about about four to six weeks away for that single uh, because of our hectic schedule. You know, I'm touring, and she's doing all this stuff, you know, television, movie stuff and all that. And uh, so, um, you know, we're probably looking at – get a little, like I said, four to six weeks for the first single release on that. And then we're going to, you know, um, go into the studio and, and cut through about three more songs, you know, all at once. And so we're finishing up the writing on those right now. And it's coming along really, really well because we don't have any boundaries. That's what I like is just the fact that we said going into this, we're not going to have any boundaries. We're just going to, you know, play whatever we feel like playing. Because it's it's all about just emotion. Like I said, we're not really trying to get a hit song on the radio. Um, if one happens that way, that's that's fantastic. But that's not what we're gearing it towards. We're gearing it more towards um, just playing what we want to play than just being experimental and uh, playing with as much emotion as possible that we can fit into one song. Okay, so so, uh, and I'm going to keep asking then. In terms of musical direction, I know experimental, but are we talking experimental, sort of like, you know, a band like Dead Can Dance, or are we talking experimental, just new sounds, but still within sort of a rock range, or still within sort of a a country rock? You know, is it is it vocal? Is it instrumental? What 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 sort of are we looking at? Oh no, she has an incredible voice, so it's all going to be vocal. Um, but what we're looking at is, is kind of a experimental rock thing. Okay. Where you're looking at more like, um, you know, if I had to put it into a category, it would be more like Porcupine Tree, Delirium, uh, Genesis, you know, stuff like that. But, but with female vocals on it, um, it's kind of hard to describe um, because it just doesn't really fit into a particular genre. Well, that's kind of cool, actually. So, so I'm looking forward to that. And is there a social it's media? Gonna be, it's going to be a, a variety of stuff. It's, it's, it'll have like a real heavy song on there, and then it'll have more like a, a ballad type song on there with a lot of piano, a lot of keyboards, and you know, a lot of guitar and stuff. But, but more, you know, finger picking sounds, stuff like that, on another song. And then we'll go into another one that'll be completely different than that. Just completely different soundscapes happening everywhere. Now, in terms of, of your playing on it, because, you know, when you play with Autograph, you've got this great rock guitar thing going. Do you also want to start experimenting with different sounds and, and, and you know, talk boxes and different pedals? And do you want to sort of stretch out your playing while you do this new project? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I already have been, um, you know, experimenting with a lot of different sounds. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons I want to do it. You know, when you're, you're, in, you're in a group... Um, that has a certain sound like autograph does, then you kind of want to remain faithful to your fans um, and put out, you know, things that, uh, you know, are going to cater to what they expect to hear from you. Um, but when you're doing a side project, you know, you can pretty much do whatever you like. And uh, that's, that's what I'm doing with this is I'm experimenting with all these different sounds and everything. Um, and that's what makes it really fun for me because it's just like, whatever I feel like playing. <laughs> it's just like, I don't care. I'll just grab anything from anywhere because my writing, uh, you know, when I personally write, you were to listen to the album Network 23, it doesn't sound anything like autograph from 
the eighties. It doesn't sound anything like the autograph. Now it's completely different. And that's why I like to really experiment like that. Um, you could, people could even go and listen to it. It's all on, it's on YouTube. If you just type in Steve Lynch network 23, the whole album comes up and they can listen to the different songs on there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's something where, uh, you know, when I, when I did that album, I just felt like I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm not trying to write a single for radio or anything like that. I just want to do what I want to do. So that's what I did. Wow. And, it, you know, I can, I can hear the excitement in your voice. You still get a kick out of making kind of new music, especially with those projects. Uh, and I'll finish on this uh, before we leave. Uh, of course, Sign In Please was uh, the debut album. Just talk to me a little bit about that and and having that first album where you could sort of say, hey, we, we did it, we got it, we RCA signed us, and then, of course, the single takes off. Just sort of take me back to that time and, and how you were feeling as a, a younger kid going, yeah, man, we made it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it was cool, but actually, you know, uh, I wasn't that young back in 1980. I was 29 back in 1984. So I wasn't that that young. You know what I mean? I'd been actually all of us were seasoned pros. Um, you know, most of the guys uh, were yep. older than me, so they were in their 30s. Their, their early 30s by that time and um but uh getting that first album you know we went out on tour with van halen we didn't have a record deal or anything and we just we just got asked out on tour because of a demo tape that we did and david lee roth heard it through our drummer our drummer played it for him because they were jogging partners every morning so anyway um after david lee roth heard that he asked us to go out on tour with 1984 tour we didn't have a name of the band or anything because we were all you know, signed to different labels. I was on, um, uh, you know, a Dreamland of Records with uh, with uh, the keyboard player from Autograph, uh, Steve Isham, uh, with a girl named Holly Penfield. Uh, Steve Plunkett was playing on Columbia Records with a group called Silver Condor. Uh, Kenny Richards, the drummer, was playing uh, in a group called The Coup on A&M Records. And Randy Rand, the bass player, was actually playing with Lita Ford at the time. And so we all had gigs. We only got together and just rehearsed, you know, on at uh, victory studios in North Hollywood. And, uh, next thing you know, we were cutting a demo with Andy Johns, great old producer. He produced our third album. And, um, and next thing you know, David heard it and we we're out on tour. And then we had to come up with a name, had to write a couple more songs and, uh, went on tour and we got signed backstage in Madison square gardens while we were on tour with Van Halen backstage at Madison Square Gardens. What a dream come true. And we did a three-album deal with them. They pulled us off the road shortly after that to start the album. And we did it. And they didn't even want to turn up the radio to be on the album. They wanted to release Sunder to Me. They thought that was a the strongest single. So we recorded Turn Up the Radio anyway. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of forced it onto the album. <laughs> Put it that way. And... Uh, it worked out to our benefit. I mean, we couldn't understand why they didn't want it on the album. It's like, hello, guys. It's called Turn Up the Radio. I think the, the people out there are going to like it, the listeners, and the music, you know, the radio stations are going to absolutely love it. And so, you know, we didn't understand what their complaint was about that. And so got it on there, and next thing you know, the rest is history. So yeah. it worked out very well. Yeah, and the- it was really cool. The first time we heard it, we were all on the tour bus, actually. Uh, getting to, getting ready to go out on another tour, and we heard it for the first time. We just went, oh, wow. You know, we 
just on the radio on the tour bus. We had heard it all together. And so that was like a really cool moment. And uh, we just went, yeah, wow, we did it. <laughs> We're yeah. on the radio. You're, you're on the radio. Just, did you turn it up? Yes, we did. We cranked it as loud as it would go. Of, of course you did. <laughs> God, can you imagine that that song and that album is 35 years old? I mean, holy mackerel. By the yeah, it's it's thirty five. Yeah. We should be celebrating this year yeah. at M three. You're probably, you're you're going to have to throw in a a few extra bonus tracks from that from that album to celebrate thirty five years. And uh, uh, Steve, always a pleasure. And of course, uh, we should explore loud and clear with Andy Johns because of course Andy did everybody under the sun. Right. Um, well, in fact, let me just ask you one question about that. What was it like to work with Andy? Because God, here, I'm just going to go to his discography for a second. I mean, you're looking at uh, having produced Humble Pie, Free, Jack Bruce, Television. Um, what else? Uh, he uh, engineered stuff by the Stones, by Led Zeppelin. I mean, this was no hack. Yeah, by Led Zeppelin, he worked with John Lennon. Uh, both him and his brother, Glenn Johns. You know, they worked with so many people. They were out of that Trident School of Music uh, yep. in London. You know, so they they just had a plethora of just amazing artists that they worked with. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And what Andy was really doing a lot in L.A. was was mixing. He would go in and mix albums because that was his that was his forte. Uh, but it was amazing sitting there listening to the sounds he was coming up as well. You know, just off the kick drum and everything. I'm just like, God, this just sounds so beefy. You know, it's just it's incredible the way the way that he does this and the way he was mixing it um i got to i just stared at him just watched everything he was doing while he was mixing it and uh i was just amazed at uh how prolific he was and how good his ears were you know so it was it was a real pleasure and real honor to be working with him oh yeah i mean just uh, yeah we'll, we'll have to explore that in depth at some point because uh some of those albums that he did are are just great. I mean, just looking from 86, Night Songs, Long Cold Winter. He did a band called Tangier, Four Winds, which I think is one of the greatest albums that people don't know about. Uh, Killer Dwarves, local Canadian oh. band. I mean, what a what a guy. Anyway, um, Steve, always, always a pleasure. I will see you on, uh, what, what day are you playing? May 3rd, 4th, or 5th? Anyway, you'll be there at M3. It'll be a fantastic weekend. All these bands are, are going to kick ass. It is going to be uh, terrific. And uh, Get Off Your Ass is, is such a great album. Um, Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. I love Simon. Yeah, Simon's a great band. vocal. Yep. And and we're looking... Yes, he does a great job on this stuff. And uh, we're looking at... Uh, we're going to be on Saturday, so it's going to be on the... Uh, the 4th. The 4th. Oh, that's going to be terrific. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say hello. That'd be the 3rd, I think. Yeah. The third is the Friday, yeah, the fourth. Yeah, I got my calendar. Uh, yeah, third. Look at my calendar. I'm pretty sure. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, it's, it's the, it is the fourth. You're right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be terrific. Uh, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup, and hopefully uh, we will see you in uh, Canada soon. Uh, but uh, folks, if you uh, if you if they're coming to town anywhere where you live, you must go because this is not paint by numbers this is a professional band giving you a kick-ass show and it's very much worth supporting fantastic thanks so much for having me on mitch and looking forward to anyone that can make it down and and uh check out uh, the new album get off your ass and and check out uh you know um a new project called uh 222 merci monsieur thank you you're welcome cheers now okay cheers 
This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. 